Hello all, and welcome once again to Shall We Read a Poem? I'm Russ. And I'm Lauren. Well, Lauren, you look like you have a lot of things brewing today. Right. Mine's going to go to some fairly dark places, though, so do we want to go with yours first? <laughs> we can. Because otherwise we'll have to dig ourselves out of it, unless you're going... <laughs> Unless you're going to a fairly dark place, in which case it doesn't matter. No, I don't. Uh, not particularly, but I mean, we do kind of deviate in that direction. Sure, let's go with um, you first. Well, then I am doing Ickle Me, Pickle Me, Tickle Me Too. Awesome. Ickle Me, Pickle Me, Tickle Me Too. Went for a ride in a flying shoe. Hooray! What fun! It's time we flew, said Ickle Me, Pickle Me, Tickle Me Too. Ickle was captain, and Pickle was crew, and Tickle served coffee and mulligan stew, as higher and higher and higher they flew. Ickle me, pickle me, tickle me too. Ickle me, pickle me, tickle me too, over the sun and beyond the blue. Hold on, stay in, I hope we do, cried Ickle me, pickle me. Tickle me too. Ickle me, pickle me, tickle me too. Never returned to the world they knew. And nobody knows what's happened to dear Ickle me, pickle me, tickle me too. All and right. your illustration has the uh, three anthropomorphic beings. Um, one is wearing pilot's goggles, which is adorable. And they are indeed in a flying chute and are flying over some mountains. And they look like they are unfamiliar with the operation of the flying shoe, uh, but they are flying it nonetheless. And there you go. Alrighty. So what do we think about this poem? It's nice. <laughs> Among other things, it's, it's a cute little hero's journey of a poem. So here you have the people that set out on the you know, mystical adventure, and they never return to the world they know, and, you know, it's it's the hero's journey in microcosm. But it had a couple of references that I sort of enjoyed, and I hadn't read this poem like so many of these shell poems, and I, I, I just kind of flipped past it, as you do, mm -hmm. and I liked the reference to um, coffee and mulligan stew, and uh, I didn't know it. I didn't know what mulligan stew was. And what is I mulligan stew? I imagine it has to do with mutton or something like that. It's been called um, alternatively Irish stew or hobo stew, mutton, <laughs> owing to the early 1900s. And it's basically composed of whatever. Uh, it's mm -hmm. usually meat, usually a beef of some kind, and then veggies. Okay. And um, the idea was that, you know, I mean, like, what is a stew? It's just put it all in a pot and l leave it on hot until you eat it. But <laughs> mulligan stew in particular looks exactly like the stew that my grandmother would serve to me when I was a wee. Well, how do you know what it looks like if it can be pretty much anything? Because there are recipes for mulligan stew. And it ends up, you know, with kind of that dark, beefy look about it because when you put beef in stew it usually turns kind of darker and then you have the veggies that these days are usually the frozen veggie 
medley, <laughs> such as it is that you get in grocery stores, because that's easy. And so you have the corn and the green beans and the carrots just sort of floating amongst as well. But this would lead me down a couple of other avenues of thought. And one was a uh, recipe for Mulligan stew as it appeared in a 1900 newspaper. And this I'm quoting from the Wikipedia here. Another traveler present described the operation of making a mulligan. Five or six hobos join in on this. One builds a fire and rustles a can. Another has to procure meat, another potatoes, and one fella pledges himself to obtain bread. And still another has to furnish onion, salt, and pepper. And if a chicken can be stolen, so much the better. And it goes on like that. So stone soup, essentially. Essentially. I would also wonder why, when I read that recipe in my head, I immediately dropped into the transatlantic accent. Mm-hmm. I'm also saddened that the transatlantic accent doesn't really exist anymore when it was so popular in and before the Second World War. And that is the reason that I chose Ickle Me, Pickle Me, Tickle Me too. Wait, there's no reason <laughs> for the transatlantic accent? Yes, because it was from 1900, and I associate everything with 1900, uh, from 1900 as sounding like that. Hmm. I think there are other poems that are a bit like this, uh, like three things going on in an adventure. There's definitely Rub-A-Dub-Dub, Three Men in a Tub kind of the rule of threes it's like you need like kind of the holy trinity that gets comedicized where it's like a duh a duh and a duh walk into a duh and something ridiculous happens right but nothing really ridiculous happens in this poem it's just like three people travel in a shoe cool but without the threes it's like ickle me and tickle me flew in a shoe it's like you need the third in there Mm -hmm. yeah okay do we want to move on to uh (laughs) (laughs) Maudlin bullshit? Oh, let's. Okay. I'm reading Boa Constrictor. Oh, I'm being eaten by a boa constrictor. A boa constrictor. A boa constrictor. I'm being eaten by a boa constrictor, and I don't like it one bit. What do you know? It's nibbling my toe. Oh, gee. It's up to my knee. Oh my, it's up to my thigh. Oh fiddle, it's up to my middle. Oh heck, it's up to my neck. Oh dread, it's up to my... (laughs) (laughs) Nicely done. Well, so I have a hard time just reading that poem because I somewhat remember the tune that goes along with it. It's definitely one that shall put a tune to and sang. Though, to be honest, until I was reading back through where the sidewalk ends, if you had asked me who wrote, I'm being eaten by a boa constrictor, I might have said Raffi. But that is incorrect. Okay. It was Shel Silverstein. So in my head, when I hear this poem it's being sung by someone with a very low voice and shell when he sings it sounds like a combination between like tom waits and louis armstrong oh i'm being eaten by a boa constrictor a boa constrictor a boa constrictor I'm being eaten by a boa constrictor and I don't like it one bit. Well, what do you know? It's nibbling my toe. Oh, gee, it's up to my knee. Oh, my, 
up to my thigh. Oh, fiddle. It's up to my middle. Oh, heck. It's up to my neck. Oh, dread. It's up to my... So one of the interesting things about this song is when it gets to the end, it's kind of, it's definitely like as a kid, I giggled about it and it was funny, but it's very visceral at the end. The noises he makes upon being swallowed, it definitely sounds like he might be suffocating. There's a lot of, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he might be expiring. What is that, uh, that uh, fetish, the eating fetish? A vor. The vor fetish, yes. <laughs> oh, it is unnecessary how quickly I came out with that. It is so very vor. There was a very symbiotic relationship between Shel Silverstein and Johnny Cash. Boy Named Sue, which yeah. was a Shel Silverstein written Johnny Cash song. Well, Johnny Cash also did a cover of this, of Boa Constrictor, although he sings it, I'm being swallowed by a Boa Constrictor. I'm getting swallowed. By boa constrictor, by boa constrictor, by boa constrictor. I'm getting swallowed by boa constrictor. And I don't like snakes one bit. Johnny Cash's version sounds a lot more spoken word to me than Mm -hmm. Shell's does. Mm -hmm. He really gets into visceral sounds too, though. All like right, even more so in my go. opinion so when shell does it he gets very visceral at the end but uh johnny cash is like as he's being eaten he makes sort of like ooh ee, ee, sounds and oh yes yes he's up to my chest he's up to my chest oh heck oh heck he's up to my neck he's up to my neck nearly all in he's up to my chest old red Excuse me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, so what we're building up to... So there's a third song, a very well-known Johnny Cash song that was originally written by Shel Silverstein. And he included it on the same album as... Well, Shell did. Shell Silverstein in 1962 had an album called Inside Folk Songs, and included on it was Boa Constrictor, but also included on it was a song made very popular by Johnny Cash called 25 Minutes to Go. Well, they're building a gallows outside my cell, and I've got 25 minutes to go. Oh, okay, yeah, I do know this song, yeah. Right. So this song is real dark. Lots of inevitability. Yeah. So 25 Minutes to Go is a song about being executed in 25 minutes. And it's a countdown of those 25 minutes. Until the guy gets hung, yeah. Right, right. And he, he sang it at Folsom Prison, which had to be an interesting experience. Because, assumably, some of the people in the audience were on death row. And in the recording, they're just loving this song. And I imagine what 
kind of levity he was bringing to the experience of facing your imminent death at the hands of the state. But this ain't the movie, so forget about me. Eight more minutes to go. That's the definition of gallows humor, isn't it? Yes, pretty much. It also gets a little bit... So the, the tune of it is very similar to Boa Constrictor. And also, they're like with the children's vi- version, which is Boa Constrictor, there's this countdown of being consumed, or in this case, your the rest of your life are being eaten away by the ticking of time. Slash, you're also in 25 minutes to go. The speaker's also thinking about his life, regrets, angers, all of these sorts of things that take up his last 20 minutes, five minutes of his life. But also, like, at the end, he, like, sings, go! And it's, like, supposed to imitate the swinging and movement within the death upon the rope in on the gallows that makes me think a lot about the choking in uh, Boa Constrictor. And now I'm swinging and here I go! Yeah, we have like a children's version of, of imminent execution and an adult version of imminent execution. Well, the most glaring difference I see is that with Boa Constrictor, you have a chance to escape your fate. Do you? It's almost, it's, it's almost like this person is observing the Boa Constrictor passively as it eats them and does nothing to prevent it. Whereas when you're on death row, you don't have much choice in the matter. Well, I mean, either way, you could try to fight your way out of it. You'd probably fail in both ways. Interesting. Yeah, and both are death by, well, the boa constrictor suffocation is supposed to be an external thing. It's not supposed to be you die when you're being swallowed. You're supposed to be squeezed to death. Yeah. But. And either way, constriction is the method that ends you. Well, in hanging, often you break your neck instead. I choose to go with the poetic version. No, I know. The poetic version is more interesting. I agree. But. uh, I, I love these parallels. You like, why can't we have every episode like this? Well, I mean, Johnny Cash didn't do songs for every single song, for every single poem that that Shel Silverstein did. And while Shel Silverstein had a big impact on children, uh, Johnny Cash is the one who had the big, big impact on adults. That's a very interesting phrase you employ. If something impacts us as children, doesn't it sort of necessarily impact us as adults? Well, not when it first comes out. The adults aren't necessarily listening to it. Oh, I see. So it's like Shel is... Sowing, is sowing these destructive or new sexual fetish seeds as it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I, I get really weird about depictions of the moment of death. Mm. 25 minutes ago and I'm being, yeah, and Bo Constrictor both turn my stomach in a way that is like, ah. Uh. Movies have kind of spoiled us for death, I think. I was fortunate to work in some hospitals for a period of time. And so have had the opportunity to see lots of people die. And none of them are good. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, I've, like, like there is no glorious death when you no. die. It's, it's, not, it's not a pleasant thing. But it's also not necessarily... The de- it's not the death of another person that I'm talking about here. It's the death, of, it's the, the death from the perspective of the dying person. Mm, and the okay. anticipation of death and the uh, recounting of the experience of expiring, which cannot actually be recounted unless you get revived, which is rare. Also, like, this, uh... I don't like the death penalty at all. <laughs> and, like, I wish it would be completely abolished. And so for me, I find 
Like, I'm not, I'm not, like, necessarily, like, mad about death to people who deserve it or anything, so much as I don't think the state should have a right to do so, or that any person really has a right to make that sort of judgment. But, you know, if somebody was getting vengeance for something that truly happened, I don't suppose I'd care. These are the final words of Surgeon Joseph Henry Green as he was monitoring his own pulse as he lay on his deathbed. Stopped. Wow. Wow. And that gives me the ickies, like, just like Boa Constrictor does. Uh, and I read it almost as a gallows humor thing. <sighs> well, maybe it's... one of us fears death more than the other. I think I fear it from the context of making other people sad. Like, I think that would be the worst part, is that when I die, I will make people sad, and that kind of bothers me. If there were a way, like, like if, if there were a way to know that I would die and no one would be sad, then I would be kind of okay with it, but, mm. you know. I fear fear a lot. I fear the fear of dying, and I fear pain, mm. and as little sense as it makes, I fear non-existence, which makes no sense, but I do. Hmm. I've thought about that one, the, the concept of non-existence, and the, I mean, the old, the old adage that, that gets trotted out from time to time is like, are you afraid of going to sleep? And it's like, there's a difference, you know, it's, it's like going mm -hmm. to sleep and dying certainly aren't the same thing. But from one's own subjective experience, it's like, is it painful to be asleep? And it's like, that's kind of the best part of your day. And so, oh, well, as somebody with chronic pain, sometimes, yes. Yeah. I like the direction that you went with that because that was not the direction that I thought that was going in at all. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you think it was going to go? So we started off talking about inevitability. And when you brought up Boa Constrictor, I thought it was going to be kind of an analysis of someone seeing something that's happening and doing nothing to prevent it. But in this case, it's the person dying. So they're not, they're not just witnessing it from from a spectator's position. I would like to think that I would be fighting if a boa constrictor was eating me. Yeah, I would. I mean, if you're being constricted by a boa constrictor, you're not supposed to... When you breathe out, you're supposed to tense your muscles so that it can't squeeze in any further. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, <laughs> it, that's the way I've it acts, is it, is it squeezes whenever you breathe out. I've never had the pleasure of being got by a boa constrictor, so, you know. <laughs> I have held boa constrictors. I have also done that. Yeah, they were kind of tiny. Guess they could have cut off circulation in my wrist or something. But <laughs> Take this pinky finger. Yeah, but they're not usually very interested in my arm or whatever. They're just sort of like, oh, you're warm. That's cool. I mean, that's not cool. That's great. That's warm. <laughs> <laughs> now, I am warm too. When I heard boa constrictor, immediately my brain went to Alberta, of all places. Because right. Alberta is the Mississippi of Canada. And for ages and ages and ages, they were spouting off about no vaccine passport, no mandatory, da, 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 all such, like every conservative talking point. And now, of course, the situation has gotten so bad that they're implementing a vaccine passport, just like, you know, every other province. And I love the concept of we're not going to do the smart thing until it becomes too late and then we're going to do the smart thing that we could have done from the start. 
And that seems like such a conservative viewpoint during a pandemic. Like we've done nothing and it hasn't worked. Have you ever heard of the rubber boa? I have not. Tell me about the rubber boa. Well, it is an adorable little boa that lives in North America, including southern BC. (gasps) I can go out and find one, can I? Maybe, but it's supposed to be just like the most passive thing ever. It's so passive that it's often used in the type of therapy for, you know, conquering phobias when uh, they're trying to introduce something to a person to make them less afraid. Oh, look at him. He looks stupid. (laughs) Oh, look at his dumb little face. Oh. Yeah, apparently their defense is not like biting or anything. It's just to make a stinky smell. It just makes a stink. This looks like a snake that would play dead. Do they play dead? I don't know. Oh, they're precious. Oh, look at its dumb little self. Yeah, it's pretty cute. Oh, what does it do? Oh, I have to learn more about this snake. I think it eats rodents. Rubber boas. Yep, you're right. Uh, Young mammals such as shrews, voles, mice. When they encounter nesting mammals, they try to consume the entire litter. Jesus. <laughs> they fend off the mother with their tail, and this is why they often have extensive scarring on their tails. Oh, I want, the rubber boa has established populations around Pemberton, British Columbia, William, Williams Lake, British Columbia, and Radium Hot Springs, British Columbia. This is a boa that will never eat you. It's too oh, small, I, I but it's also just kind of like, meh, please just go away. Here's a foul smell. They're wonderful. I like their (laughs) stupid little faces. I remember I lived uh, in an apartment complex in Irving, Texas. And uh, there was a rat snake that got loose. I love rat snakes. Indeed. And I don't know if they do this everywhere, but in Texas, they mimic rattlesnake behavior. I think that rat snakes can bite, but they don't really very often. People. Um, I have you know, been they, bitten by rat snakes. You have? Okay. But I have um, also but, done all sorts of terrible things, like grabbing them. So, in this apartment complex, a big old rat snake got loose. It was about four and a half feet long. And in Texas, they will shake their tails a la rattlesnakes. They don't have rattles. They just shake their tail, and it kind of looks like a rattlesnake. Well, if they're in the brush, it can also sound like one. Yeah. And uh, so I came home one day, and this snake was in kind of like a breezeway. And there's no... I mean, it's like it was... There's no mistake in the thing. It's huge. And so I returned to my apartment and got an empty trash can and a walking cane to serve as a snake hook. And I picked up the snake and dumped him in the trash can and he immediately tried to escape and so I like kind of sat on the thing (laughs) and now I just have a snake in a trash can (laughs) and the apartment complex gave us a number to call if we encountered the snake and I call and they're like no that'll be $500 to remove the snake (laughs) it's like no it will not thank you no it will not I will I see I have the snake it is here and so how about you pay me (laughs) And so I had my cane in my right hand and a big old trash can in my left hand. And so I set off to the creek that is about half a mile away from the apartment. And I'm walking with a trash can over my shoulder and a walking cane over my shoulder. And on the way to the creek where I dump the snake, I am passed by not one, but two Irving police officers. (laughs) And they did not say a word to me. (laughs) And I think that's called white privilege. Yes. 
Yes, but I also assume they're used to people like dealing with varmint and however they want in Texas. And and that's my one story about a sweet snake that did no harm to no one. Well, do you have any uplifting thoughts to leave our listeners with? No, but fuck Texas. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Oh Fuck my! You and your abortion ban things. Uh, not me. You can't. Bl- I don't live there anymore. You no, can't no, 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 no. This was a fuck you to Texas, not to you, sir. Yes. Uh, no, I'm glad that they decided to collectively lose their minds, and uh, good luck with that. I hope everybody who is part of the abortion ban gets eaten by a boa constrictor. Oh dear! It's up to my. Oh, sick! It's eating my dick. 